This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is sponsored by the British Columbia Chapter of the Directors Guild of Canada. Learn more about BC's stellar directors at www.directors.ca. That's www.directors.ca. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Firminger. My mission is to pull back the curtain on Vancouver's film and television industry and expose its beating heart, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom style, by getting deep and down and a little dirty with the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I don't know how to say your last name. Is it Gerard? Yeah, Haji. Haji. Jem yeah, Gerard. That's it, yeah. I'm keeping that in because that you was can. a moment of extreme panic. You can. I get a uh, the nickname Haji on on set so that they remembered how to pronounce it. That is the best nickname. Okay. Well, today we <laughs> welcome Jem Haji Garrard to the YVR Screen Scene Hot Seat. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. I didn't get to say my next statement. It was huge. Oh, go for it. I am obsessed with Jem Garrard's brain. <laughs> That's worth, that was worth saying, right? That's a good statement. Thank you. So from what I understand it, Jem came to film through music. She made music videos for Ringo Starr and Linkin Park. And these days, she's an in-demand director and creator who is bringing her brain all over the world and creating incredible shit. Thanks. Her sci-fi comedy web series, Android Employed, also known as one of my favorite web series to ever premiere, and anybody who knows me, knows that I recommend that one all the time. Uh, that one and True Heroines are, I think, my two favorite web series of all times. Uh, so Android Employed imagines a future where robots join the workforce, and it is at once hilarious, revealing, and slickly produced, which is saying a lot for a web series. In 2018, she directed the entire fourth season of You, Me, Her, and a horror comedy for sci-fi called Killer High. Jem is also the creator and showrunner of the space opera series Vagrant Queen for sci-fi, and you can bet we're going to talk about that today. We're also going to talk about genre. We're going to probably talk about robots. We're going to talk about, well, whatever Jem and her brain want to talk about, because I have loved every second of where her brain has taken me to date. How's that for an intro? Jem! That's the best intro I think I've ever heard. Not just about me, about anyone. Aww. Yeah, and you'll see that I, I didn't mention Gem and the Holograms in there, you despite didn't. the fact that we are sharing space with my, my Gem doll from when I was... Yes, I keep looking at that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> see, the misfits, they don't get spoken about as much as the holograms. Okay, so I, I actually preferred the misfits, yeah. their aesthetics, to Gem and the holograms and I I envision a movie like I had this idea when they announced they're going to do a movie I'm like yay I was like wouldn't it be great to have somebody like like a Taylor Swift play gem and then you can have like Lady Gaga or somebody like that do the misfits and just go camp and go and because the misfits they worked hard and they had they did what gem did but they did it with edge they did. They yeah. needed you on that movie. Yeah, they they needed somebody who was a fan of the original oeuvre of Gem and the Holograms yeah. on that on yeah. that movie. Yeah, but anyway, hi. Hey. <laughs> so we originally spoke uh, about. I mean, we've spoken frequently over over the years yeah. uh, about different things. But I invited you on the podcast like a year ago, and like I'm just leaving town. Uh, to work on this project, um, but I'll talk to you as soon as I'm back. Yep. And you were gone for 10 months, and I that was, was you were yeah. in South Africa for yep. Vagrant Queen. So um, we're going to talk about, if you're listening for Vagrant Queen, we're going to be talking about it towards the end of the episode. So, But I would suggest you do not scrub through, because we got to lay the foundation uh, <laughs> for, for Jem Garrard's uh, brain. I keep coming back to your brain. Yeah, I'm like obsessed can, with it. We can talk about um, that. It's a mess. Uh, I I love I I mean if 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 the kind of of 
I mean, I love genre. I mean, we're sitting in a room that's filled with like collectibles. Yeah. The entire office here has got like got. It we, is. we it's have. A, it's an amazing room. I never yeah. knew what to picture when I listened to the podcast. Yeah, this is. It's an amazing room. There's, there's a. Uh, toys and, and beautiful artwork we got toys everywhere. we got artwork we have VHS tapes I got, a, I got a David Bowie Barbie doll down oh there yeah so I That's mean so amazing. I am a I'm a fan of and all of us who work here we're we are fans of many different kinds of you got a group yeah, that's a Groot. Now the battery died, but oh. it is a little like dancing, yeah, dancing Groot. So you press the button and it says, "I am Groot," and basically it's, it's an impressive collection. Yes, yeah. yes, but it is. I mean, I, I, we are passionate. We're nerds here. We're geeks. We're fans. Yeah. Um, and I've been very excited about the work that you're creating, uh, even the work that you're creating with not much of a of a budget. Yeah, you know, at all. So. I guess. I mean, if you're familiar with the podcast, you know, we get in the way back machine. So yeah. what is your time travel device of choice? My time travel device? Yeah. What do I time travel in? Yeah. Yeah. So your options include the TARDIS, mm -hmm. um, the DeLorean, uh, the Bill and Ted phone booth. We can get in the Enterprise and whip around the sun uh, like yeah. they did in Star Trek IV. Um, wow. This is a good question. Yeah. Um, Honestly, I'm surprised you haven't been asked this before. I haven't been asked this before. I might need to say the DeLorean. Yeah. I think this might be a bit more comfortable than some of the other options. Yeah. yeah. The TARDIS, it's though, it's well. massive. That's true. Yeah. And that's it changes true. with each different uh, each different doctor as well. So, okay. That's but that's I'm just fine. looking at thinking of it from its exterior. I got to think about, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, well, that's your one. That's clearly your your choice. Yeah, but everybody who's been coming in recently has been saying the DeLorean. I think it's a okay. No, a I changed my answer. Thing. Yeah, you changed been it. saying that. <laughs> but I, I want to. So, so take me back. I, take me back to your your childhood. I want to okay. meet you when you were like at your most. I, like when you were the happiest and most fulfilled as a kid, where we get a peek at who you would become in oh. your later years happiest I was as a kid I think um it really that's a really good question a I try to have one yeah maybe two wow really okay <laughs> um I I've always loved telling stories so for me when I think back to childhood um whenever you know I was creating something I was I was happy I was the kid that would be, you know, in my bedroom drawing yeah. constantly, uh, whether that was, you know, comic books or, um, you know, I'd I also loved drawing still life. I used to love writing. Um, that was that was when I was most happiest. And then outside of that, I was, uh, I'd love to put on on um, plays for family. That's oh. how it, from early, early, like me, uh, I have two younger sisters, we would kind of, we would write these ridiculous stories and then we would just play them to family yeah and then um, what do you mean by ridiculous stories well, ridiculous because you know we're seven eight years old and the the stories that we came up with you know i guess they weren't ridiculous at the time yeah they were they were brilliant yeah or, you know should have been award-winning at the time if we absolutely. were absolutely yeah but now and were you collaborating with your sisters or I were mean, you the one moving them around yeah the no puppet i would say i was collaborating but they would probably most definitely say that i was a puppet master i was yeah. the eldest so <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm an eldest as well it uh yeah. i understand it's a it's a way of seeing the world but that was i loved doing that as a kid um we would put on these these plays for family and then um i remember we were able to borrow uh, my grandma got a like um, a camcorder like um, a crappy super eight one that oh wow we borrowed and um uh then we could film these stories so we would uh, obviously edit in camera um, yeah, <laughs> and spend the day, just spend an entire day, like essentially making this short film. And this was probably when I was yeah ten years old. And then you know screen it at the end of the day. And um, I just remember like how fun that was, and this like enormous sense of kind of like pride and achievement when you sat down at the end of the day, you know, with family, even if it was just my nan in the audience, you know, yeah, or my mom. It didn't matter. It was yeah. just showing this this story you'd put together yeah. and the, the kind of um, it's kind of like 
like a very small scale version of like Crazy Eights or other filmmaking yeah. filmmaking under the gun kind of competitions, right? Yeah. Put it together, screen it for your your loved ones, and leave with that great feeling. That's it. Yeah. yeah and, I, and yeah, I've been I was doing that from a young age. I've been obsessed with stories since I can remember. Yeah. And, and creating characters. Now, did you come from creative people? Like, did did your family any of them work in the creative industries mm, at all? My mom's a drama teacher. Oh, come yeah. on. That's yeah. a that's perfect. Uh, yeah, so I, I um yeah, I I grew up with uh, in a single parent uh household with my mom and my sisters and she always encouraged my creativity. She always encouraged my storytelling and um was a huge, you know, obviously influence in in that for me and in how I create characters. Yeah. Um so yeah, you know, and growing up in London, I was obviously uh, at great theater on my doorstep. Oh my God. Um, and drama really opened up my entire world. Yeah. You know, like I remember when I was young thinking, oh, I want to act, you know, cause I love drama. I love creating characters. Um, so just sort of thought that was what I would go into. Um, but it took it took actually it took a while until my late teens until I realized that actually what I was had been describing was a director. Mm. I just sort of didn't realize I could do that as a kid because I didn't I'd, I'd never really seen any other women do it. That still seems up. very young. Yeah, eighteen seems young yeah. to say I want to be a director. Yeah, I'm sorry for that bad accent. I'm no, do it again. <sighs> I've I've heard worse. Oh. I want to be a director. <laughs> it's not bad. It's Thank better you. than my wife's accent. <laughs> oh no, she, she puts on us a... <laughs> to do the British accent. Yeah. Well, I was also I took a moment because I'm like I'm I'm 18 and I'm in London and I just had that that <laughs> idea moment of I struck with that idea. So so you you are 18 and you 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 say mm-hmm. I want to be a director. Yeah. Uh, and, and so then what then? What do you do with that then? Yeah. Like, how do you get from there to here? I know. It was, I'd figured that out, which seemed like a huge thing at the time. I was like, oh, this all makes sense. Um, but yeah, what do I do now? How how do you get into that? Um, and I think that, at t- you know, for me, film school, uh, I went to film school. I know there's a lot of different ways into it, but I thought, okay, well, that's the next step. I'll yeah. learn more about the craft. Um and I think especially in film school when you're surrounded by, you know, other students your age that are all trying to get to the same place, you sort of look at that journey as, you know, I'm going to make an award-winning short film and then that's going to get turned into an award-winning feature uh, and that will be my journey and then it's just going to be nonstop from there, you know. We sort of have <laughs> that sort of fantasy yeah. and that ideal and, you know, it's really only happened to like naught point naught 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 one percent of... Yeah you know, directors actually working in the industry now, but that's sort of... I mean, often people end up specializing and, you know, and be like, okay, well, they they graduate film school saying they're going to be a director and then they end up, you know, moving into visual effects editing or or cinematography or, you know, things that also require require craft and an understanding of storytelling, but not quite where they had, when they'd gone to film school, where they had started. Yeah, absolutely. And my... my, um, uh, I studied uh, at the University of Creative Arts uh, back in the UK, and they had a great program. Um, and again, you could specialize. Uh, so the directing, producing, writing, um, editing, cinematography. Um, and I did I did try them all. Um, yeah. Even though I knew I, I wanted to direct, it was important for me to understand every department, at least have, have tried it, and you know, to it would only make me a better director. Yeah. Um, it was great. I met I met people there that in those other departments that I still work with. Uh, oh, to I this love day. that kind of story. Especially my editor, actually. A big shout out to David Travail, who um, we started working together in university. He edited all of my projects. Yeah. Um, and he just fi- uh, finished editing Vagrant Queen. <gasps> oh wow! Yeah. I love hearing that. You know, because also that relationship between an editor and a director is so important, right? So important. I mean, we've been working together, yeah, like 12 years now. So he knows my voice. He knows what I'm going to like and, um, you know, what I, what I, of the footage I, I don't want to see. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and, and there's, there's a number of other people. Uh, it was a great, it was a great course as well because the first, 
films I shot there was on um, 16 millimeter. Oh. So you had, uh, you know, a 10 minute reel and you had to produce maybe a four or five minute film. Yeah. So you really had to think about every single shot. Yeah. Um, and if you needed to go again, really make sure you needed to go again. And yes. that was a great lesson to learn. To uh, our younger first. listeners, uh, we're talking about actually handling physical film. Yes. You know, that you have to like cut and cut and paste. Yeah, we cut yeah. it on the Steinbeck. So yeah, we <laughs> on the flat that Steinbeck. Yeah. yeah. So it's it was a different, no digital storage, storage you know, no, it, you had to, it was a different kind of thought and uh, um, completely thinking about resources. No, but at, the, at that time, in those early, the early days, what kind of stories did your brain want to tell? Because in my mind, my brain sees your brain, because there's too many brains. I see you as a genre Absolutely. filmmaker. You know, I think about, I mean, you do different genres. You know, I've seen, I mean, even your your Crazy Eights film, you know, mm-hmm. was a was a monster movie. And yeah. then and then Android Employed had, you know, it's an alternate near future Actually, it could be the actual future, yeah. you know, about Near robots five. and horror. You have horror comedies, um, and and then there's Yumi Her in there uh, as well, which is, I mean, it's some kind of genre of drama, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's definitely stories, the kind of stories that we don't often get to see presented on screen. Yeah. You know, for sure. And and now Vagrant Queen, like, so mm-hmm. were you were you at that point looking at telling genre stories, or were you open to anything? Uh, absolutely, and I think. Yeah, before I go back on that, sort of my career's sort of been split between the this the stuff I create and then being a director for hire. Yeah. Uh, you know, which you're not creating those projects. You're you're brought on t- on a on a show or or a TV movie, um, and you do the best job you can with you know, with what you're given and the script you're given. Yeah. But certainly anytime I've had the opportunity to create, um, it's always been in genre. Yeah. Um since I, you know, since I was a kid, I'm, uh, I grew up. That was, you know, sci-fi and and even horror from a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, Can you name check some of the? Comic yeah, books tell me well. some of the specifics ones. Like, I want to know what f- you, what did you feed your brain with when you were, when you were, you know, feeding your brain with books and movies and television shows. When I was growing up, God, yeah. it, there would be just uh, like too much to list off. Now I remember watching, uh, like. Star Trek and Star Wars with my mom. She yeah. was a big um, sci-fi fan as well. She, yeah. you know, she's a sci-fi fan, so we um, would watch. Uh, grew up watching uh, X Files. Um, Filmed uh, in Vancouver. Yes, early. Um, there's a a film I remember watching that I loved as a kid called Logan's Run. Yes, <laughs> which my wife laughs at me now because I had such a hard time turning thirty. <laughs> And she says, because that, that movie ruined it for you Oh, that's, from when I was young. Yeah, of course. Um, I grew up with uh, like Silence of the Lambs being one of my favorite movies when I was way too young for it to be one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Um, and uh, reading, reading comic books when I was younger, it was my, a lot of um, Marvel and, and X-Men. And, and that's obviously grown to a, a love of independent comics now. Um also, I think actually a huge. I was I was a huge Simpsons fan as well since I was maybe oh, five six years old. Respect must be paid yeah. to the Simpsons, not just for the fact that they're st- still doing it. You yeah. know, it's been like more than what thirty years yeah. at, at this point. They but were a huge influence for me. Um, I used to kind of go. I would watch that and go off and sort of and write my own little story yeah. around with these characters, um, and create my own cartoons and um so you're doing fanfic yeah you're doing fan fiction when i was like eight years old i yeah. love that working um, those ideas out and then moving the characters around and i yeah i think um when i was you know i i i read um i read the hobbit when i was eight years old yeah and um fell in love with it and obviously that led to other uh, fantasy um and um, I just yeah my my love of uh, just story just kept growing yeah I love I love that like even before you went to to film school you were feeding your brain like everything that we like all the entertainment we consume like it 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 stays with us in some way right that's yeah. why it's so cool to think think about this Jam yeah. 
the work that you are writing and you are creating and you are putting out there is is feeding other there it's feeding other minds yeah and I it mean, will feed other minds especially a so. vagrant queen that that's I, I hope so yeah um and by the time I went to uni you know I was reading uh, like Asimov as well and I think that I, I've always had uh, a love of robots and yeah. AI as well um but when I by the time I got to university um especially the sort of the scene in London um it was very kind of pro drama and you know kitchen sink drama especially mm. and um the university i went to sort of focused uh quite heavily on that and at the time genre was still sort of you know looked down on in terms of that hierarchy of genre dramas up here <laughs> oh i mean you're you're in a city here. where there is a uh, you're in close proximity to shakespeare work and you know yeah work that is kind of put on a sitting up high a pedestal you know totally yeah and I the think ivory tower of... and whatnot okay my god no, my accent's great. horrible just a little bit yeah <laughs> but i i sort of quiet that 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 side of me became a bit more quiet during uni because mm. i was okay I, to be a serious filmmaker to be taken seriously i should be telling you know these these types of stories so you know i tried writing those and telling those um and you know by the end of it i was like i but these aren't quite what these aren't quite the stories i want to tell yeah. i enjoy watching them i love them but I, they're not the ones that i want to tell and yeah. make and so yeah my 20s was spent just finding my voice again and having the confidence to 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 say no like i love genre um i love sci-fi i love action you know uh it would be a dream to make a marvel movie mm -hmm. um and you know you kind of come out and say that in film school it's almost like oh what a sellout that's not real filmmaking and I'm yeah like, no it is it yeah. is i love watching those movies do you find that the the tone it, it has changed like do you think that there is still that hierarchy and like if even if there is like does it matter to you no if it doesn't there is? if it is it doesn't matter at all um to me i've learned and feel very comfortable over the like the last few years to just be uh kind of confident in my voice and write things that I enjoy and kind of focus on that more than what I think other people want to see yeah and and know that if I want to see it other people do not everyone but that's fine yeah but I do think that um yeah the the image of genre is changing for the better yeah um there's you know a lot of smart horror coming out there's a lot of great uh sci-fi like grounded sci-fi like uh, Black Mirror, I think, has done great things for sci-fi. Yeah. When I met my wife, she was convinced that that wasn't a genre she liked, but she just hadn't really seen enough of it. Hmm. And so, you know, I, I, that was it was really fun to sort of open her eyes up to actually what it is, and she's yeah. a huge fan of it now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so. How did you end up here in Vancouver, or right here on this? Well, right yeah. here, I know, like, there's a snowstorm outside, and yep. you took a cab, and I was yeah. like, I don't know if you should go. I'm not driving. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you get a cab if you need to reschedule. No. Um, no, but, how, like, what brought you here, and yeah. and why have you stayed? Well, the first time I visited Vancouver, I fell in love with it. I was yeah. a teenager, and I had family here. Um, and so it was always in the back of my mind as a, as a place I would, you know, love to live in one day, even if it was just for a year or two. Um, and when I graduated, um, London was hit really hard by the recession. There was nothing being filmed, yeah. nothing at all. And I was like, okay, now's a, now's a good time to try it. Um, and I think the moment I was here, it, you know, this place felt like home instantly. Hmm. It really did. It was, um, it was, it was bizarre yeah. how quickly this place just felt like home. Yeah. And this was just over 10 years ago now. And I started shooting, I bought a, a, a camera and got a, a computer and started shooting little web videos just to kind of make enough for rent every month. Yeah. Um, and so your idea then was to come and direct, was to, to yeah. be part of the Vancouver film and yeah. TV scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and how did you, how was your entry into that? Like what, what was the industry like when you first arrived and, and um, how has it changed? I'll go to um, when I first arrived. Um, 
I'd sort of try and make an effort to go to a lot of like networking events, you know, women in film and TV as well. Oh, yeah. Um, and through that you meet people and then they introduce you to people and then you slowly start to build um, that indie film community. Yeah. You know, and over, I think the first five years I was here, um, yeah, you build a great community and you become part of that community that's already, you know, they were obviously already established for years and they welcomed me in yeah. and you'd help each other out on little projects um, and you know now in terms of of how that's changed um, I mean I haven't been able over the past few years to like to go to as many of these indie networking events you know as I'd like to yeah um, but from what I hear and and see um, you know with my peers in the industry um, it's still as uh, welcoming and collaborative and there are some amazing voices uh, from the indie film community in Vancouver coming up now yeah. um, and you know getting bigger bigger projects with bigger budgets and that's that's really exciting to see yeah um, one of the first times where I became very familiar with your work oh, was uh, the, the Wolf Who Came to Dinner. Yeah, that was my crazy eights. Your crazy, sure, yeah. your crazy eights uh, film. And honestly, some of the like the work that comes out of crazy eights, like yeah. uh, like the production value is it, so to our to our listeners who are who are all over the world. A crazy eights is this like completely bonkers filmmaking competition where you you compete for the opportunity to make a film in eight days so there are yeah. six like and and i think last year they had like more than 200 people apply yeah. and then you go through this pitch process and then it comes 12 and then it's the final six and you're competing to have this completely bonkers experience where you shoot in three days and then you you take five days to you know to lock it down and do all the posts and everything and and, the, and then it, you have the opportunity to screen your film on, to on thousands a, of people thousands of yeah. people and then a lot of these films end up you know going That's, around yeah. the world and winning awards and stuff and so like what what did you get from that mm. experience then and like what what advice would you give to to people who are considering you know applying to crazy eights in future years I mean, the advice I would give is to, you know, tell a story that you really care about that, you know, kind of hasn't been told before. Yeah. Um, um, there's That's what I love about Crazy Eights. Every year I go, all six films are so different. Yeah. Um, and it's such a great event, you know, like I don't know any other event like it. Yeah. Um, but it's a fantastic experience. And it only, you, you meet so many more people in the indie community yeah um and those are always relationships that you want to foster and grow because i think like no matter where you go those those are the people you want to bring up with you you know mm. those those kind of crews and trusted collaborators um but it's it's a fun experience everybody is so in in vancouver so willing to help out on yeah. a crazy eight show i think you only get I think it's only a thousand dollars. I think it used to be eight hundred, yeah. and now it's a thousand. Yeah, um, which is nothing, you know, like that. That they, that will <laughs> the go very, very quickly. The in-kind is it, you get a lot of of donated like services and incredible yeah. acts. I mean, I think and the, the cast that you get. I think the a couple of years ago, incredible. like they had um, the oh the Spear sisters had like Jewel State as the star yeah. of their, their film. Jewel State and Sharon Taylor and you know just like you have incredible people who you have access who, who are who want it like or Sarah Canning and Gabrielle Rose yeah. or in he uh, Heather Perluzzo's film Hatch like this incredible access absolutely you know and then the work is is phenomenal. You're the best talent in Vancouver and you know everyone will help out for a Crazy Eight project yeah. um, so you, you know you, you get these great crews you get this great cast um, you're able to put together some uh, some a high quality short that you would never be able to do yeah. for that budget level uh, at any other time, um, and it's crazy and you won't sleep for eight days. That's why it's called Crazy Eight. Yeah. But at the end of it, you get to show that I think two thousand people. Yeah. Um, which is it's a phenomenal event, a great after party, and then yeah, these films you get to send them to festivals yeah. and so the wolf got into a lot of festivals all over the world and it won quite a few awards um it was it was it was great to do but i was also doing it while i was doing that i was still 
writing and creating other projects, another piece of advice I would give is never just focus on one thing, you know? Like, yeah. Um, when I was doing Crazy Eights, uh, after that I'd lined up other projects. And so oh. within that year, I sort of then had a body of work to say, you know, look, this is what I can do. This is yeah. my voice. Um, is that, that, is, that to the uh, is that in order to just keep your brain active or is it to not put all your eggs in one basket? It's you a know? bit of both. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, the latter because you never can in this industry, you know, yeah. you always got to have a lot of things going. But, the you know, for me, I need uh, I need to constantly keep uh, my mind active. I've got so many ideas and projects yeah. that I, I want to work on and you know while you've got to dedicate the time um uh, you got to give time to each project i'm not saying necessarily just start developing 10 things at once yeah <laughs> um but i definitely personally need to be working on uh a lot of things just to just to keep like you you mentioned my brain earlier yeah there's a million thoughts all the time yeah. and i think <laughs> it's i've trained myself now to when i'm writing a, a project to focus on that and get that done but I, it very it used to be hard because you know you'd start something and i want to jump onto something else and yeah then, oh but this idea is i like this one now i'm going to jump onto this but when you are building but for something like crazy eights when you're building a reel and when you're emerging um you want to be able to have um a body of work that you know that you can show that can help you level up to the next the next project so yeah. if you've got a you know a handful of short films that maybe will help you get your first tv movie or your first half an hour episode or yeah. whatever that is yeah your first up. low budget feature yeah. i love that idea because i feel like as somebody's been watching your work since crazy eights yeah. it's been like we've been watching you i've been watching you level up you know mm -hmm. in in real time i'm, I'm curious about the first time that funny, zach lebowski said that the other day we, i was uh, doing a talk for did he really oh at the pacific screenwriting yeah, and yeah. The, for, and the uh, dgcbc and uh introduced me by saying um i think the shortest amount of time that someone's gone from crazy eights to show running yeah <laughs> he would know he's another crazy eights you know another crazy uh, eight show runner, yeah. Sh yeah exactly um but i i i'm I'm curious about the first time that you directed somebody else's work because we did talk. I mean, you you talked about. Yeah. I mean, something like you, me, her. That was you know that that was. And I'm assuming uh, Killer High as well was Killer High. Mm -hmm. Did you write that or you directed? No, I directed that. Um, the uh, the first thing I think was uh, a TV show called The Switch. Okay. Yeah. So the experience then of of directing somebody else's work, somebody mm -hmm. else's writing yeah um in, in what ways like did, did that especially at the beginning challenge you as as a director and mm -hmm. and strengthen you as well yeah i mean when you write something for yourself you know that story inside and out and you know the reasons uh, the motivations for um that you know the whole story and so when i started I, I think it was the switch the first one so I'm just thinking back to like if there was something before that but there's a lot more work then that will go in uh, oh, at the, the very switch. beginning I remember yeah. the switch oh, yeah fantastic yeah we made a super low budget first um, TV sitcom with trans characters with, yeah trans characters trans actors. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot more work that goes into you know the the beginning into before you even start prepping on just making sure that you are on the same page as mm. the writers I think tone is really important because um, you can read a script uh, I can interpret it one way uh, and it could actually you know a writer would just step in and say oh actually no that's you know that line means this or that moment means yeah. this and it would change that entire scene so there's a lot more time spent making sure first of all that you're all on the on the right page um, and stepping back to um, stepping back to to acknowledge that this is also the writer's voice mm. and you have a voice as a director um, and you've got to find a way to make those two kind of gel and work together yeah. um, it is um, it it wasn't as challenging uh, as I thought it was particularly because I've been lucky enough to work with um, 
great creatives and writers that really um, respected what a director brings to to the project. Yeah. Let's not quit for <laughs> yeah for all all your future directing work uh, <laughs> as as well. I, I'm curious though about uh, working with um, with actors. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I just I love think I love knowing now that your mom is a drama teacher uh, <laughs> as well, and working at her point with you, you know, young uh, emerging actors. You would but, know it as well when you met her. Oh really? Oh, yeah. oh she's the she's got like what big hair and flowing dresses and well, lots of plays in her big I'm, curly I'm, hair. But no, she does <laughs> she does love to. Uh, <laughs> oh, she's, she's a bit of a drama queen. No, I'm no, sorry, Mum, I love you. Lots of like flourishes, <laughs> lots of, in language, and yeah, let's I'm just, picturing one drama teacher I knew from high school who was like, you know, Jeanette, you're amazing. Uh, you know, from a uh, critical period in my yeah. in my life. You know, she's just um, she was always amazing at make believe too, and now you oh. know she's a grandma too. She's that grandma that will like playing make-believe all day yeah yes create characters be that character yeah Yeah. oh amazing so so then so then you learn to work with actors yes you know uh then um is is there such a thing as an undirectable actor and like and and if if so like what are some strategies that directors can employ to to work with actors who might might for whatever reason not be picking up what you're putting down yeah no i don't think there is i think that the it's it really uh is just communication yeah um it's funny i was just talking about this this morning um to a producer in town we were talking about working with actors and um and that and the topic of you know difficult actors comes up and um and how i would deal with that and um, it really is just okay. Everybody, everybody is different, right? And mm-hmm. including actors, and every actor needs something different. And it really is just about uh, communication. I think a good director knows how to communicate. Yeah. Um, and I do consider myself an actor's director. I love yeah. working with actors. Um, for me, it's one of the most enjoyable parts of my job. Yeah. And so. You know, if there ever has been a time where um, it has been difficult or it has seemed to be some sort of barrier between myself, you know, notes I'm giving and an actor I'm working with, it's really just been finding what that is and um, and working past that and figuring out, okay, how do, what, where aren't we communicating right now? What's not, what's, what do you need that I'm not giving you? And yeah. vice versa. So... Uh, whenever that's happened, I've just made sure to take a bit of time to figure that out rather mm. than just every day showing up on set and just neither of us getting anywhere. Yeah. Um, and there's always, there, in my experience so far, no matter you know how kind of difficult it seemed at the beginning, we've always found um, a way to make it work. I've, yeah. You know, found a way that um, they need something from me. Um, yeah. And if they need that, uh, and that you know helps them give a better performance and getting to character, then um, I'm I'm curious about uh, mistakes yeah. that you either made at the beginning of your career as a director, yeah, or that you see other directors making. Like, what what, what are some of the the mis- the common mistakes that that you made or that you saw other directors making early on? That's a good question. You can edit out this long pause. But it's a pregnant pause. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to think back to uh, some early, early productions now. Because um, we learn from mistakes, right? All the time. Like, yeah. Made like 30 mistakes today. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> but I'm better for it. <laughs> I think there's, I mean, we were just talking about actors. Um, I, I think, you know, I think. Being an actor's director is just is, is always gonna help your show. Yeah, whether that's TV or or film. Um, and while I I kind of grew up taking acting classes and being involved in the theater, um, I really kind I I really learned a lot on my first few productions in film. Mm. You know, it, it it was it was very different, and I think um, 
I look back now to sort of some uh, some directions I I would have given, and I'm I'm kind of cringe at some possible line readings I once gave. Uh, <laughs> you come from theater and you're like, oh, just try it like this. Uh, <laughs> but also, I think um, I some of my earlier projects I was trying to do too much with too little um, because mm. I was so. Um, you know, I just, I wanted to impress because yeah. I wanted to get, I wanted to level up, right? Yeah. I wanted to get that next project. I wanted to prove I could do it. Um, and I think, you know, you try and do too much with too little um, and you're spread thin. And I think some of my earlier projects suffered from that. And I think one of the, you know, the best things emerging uh, directors and creatives can do is, you know, rather than taking a lot and spreading that thin, is just really concentrate on on a few things. Yeah, and and put you know your effort and and the budget and the money into that. Yeah, make that look great. So if and we're talking specific, stronger, think about Android sorry. Employed, which one yeah. of the reasons that like, I I mean I love it so much. Thank you. Uh, I think one of the reasons though is because it looked it, like it's it's so well acted, it's so well written, but it also looks like millions of dollars Thank i mean you had you. incredible like visual effects and yeah. and editing and stuff so is that like was that a situation where you were focusing on a few a few small things and yeah um and uh, like really pouring a lot of thought and care and funds into the i know you had some support from from telus from telus yeah, yeah we did they they were they came on board early after we made uh, a short film called unit brian um, right and <laughs> It, we knew, you know, we knew we didn't have the budget. It was a very small budget. Um, and, you know, our lead character was a robot. So, um, you, you, first of all, you never, any of the decisions you make, you don't want that to ever um, affect your storytelling. And, um, you know, that comes first. Yeah. So, for, for us, we, we were like, okay, how do we, how do we create this robot? who's in every single scene. Um, Who has like no waste, like pretty much like it's, yeah, yeah it's like a pencil thin we, we knew we couldn't waste. afford a CG robot. Yeah. And at the same time, we knew we couldn't afford a complete full robot build. So it became a sort of hybrid of, of um, you know, uh, an actor in a robot suit. Yeah. Um, but we uh, keyed out certain parts, yeah. you know, at the neck and the body um, and we're able to comp those backgrounds back in uh so this you know so it was it was a weird effect it was um not quite c-3po yeah because you could see that uh, there's no human that could be that shape what's going yeah. on uh but it was a very sort of cheap way of getting that effect so smart though you know i i, rem I remember uh rachel Talley talking about um you know having the opportunity to direct Doctor Who, you know, after directing all like all of the yeah. the things she the she did, you know, in the, you know, the 80s and early 90s and you know, she was able to to come into a production that had more money than those other yeah. things and do and and to still figure out ingenious ways to, you know, to do it practically, yeah. you know, and to make sure it still is going to look good, I'm you a know? huge fan of of practical. Yeah. Um, you know, our Monster and Killer High was practical and in, in Vagrant Queen um if I could do a practical effect, I would. And yeah. we did, you know, so much of that, of that show is practical. Yeah. I mean, she still had such an incredible respect for visual effects. I mean, if you watch Doctor Who, I don't know yeah. if you're a Doctor Who fan or not. Um, but you know what? I, yeah, I'm not, I'm definitely not as big a fan as you are. Really but it, yeah. Yeah. I got it. Jem <laughs> uh, was admiring. I have a custom um, Wolverine riding the TARDIS yes. painting now, by Wolverine Adam Tupper. fan. Yeah. I am. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta honestly. You don't have to go back and watch all fifty plus years of Doctor Who. You can start with with you know the uh, with, with the ninth Doctor. Okay, and uh, and go from so the there. The tenth is your favorite. Yeah, tenth's my favorite, yeah. but you know, twelves um, also follows closely. I mean, especially if you love horror, mm -hmm. you know, and you have all different kinds of storytelling. I'm telling you, it's all different genres in there. Okay, we're gonna take a break, and when we come back. We're going to talk finally about Vagrant Queen <laughs> and we're going to talk about um, leveling up, which I, I'm kind of stuck on those words now uh, from. But it's not just about leveling up because it's just keeping all the stuff that you have from before, Absolutely. you know, and, and then taking that into the next 
kind of level of responsibility. Yeah. It's like you have more to do, right? More responsibility. Yeah. But that role ideally of showrunner. Ideally, bigger budgets. Yeah, ideally. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> there's there's a lot of meaning in that uh, in that chuckle, I guess, when we say yeah. bigger budgets. And ideally, yeah. a, a, a broader reach as well. You yeah. Know, that's why we're all in it. We want our work to be seen. Yeah. We want to touch people's lives. And so, yeah, when you... That's kind of how I see leveling up is just being able to get your work out to more people. Yeah, and you have certainly done that. Okay, so that's a cliffhanger. Let's take that break. So this week, the YVR Screen Scene podcast is brought to you by the BC branch of the Directors Guild of Canada. And we're incredibly fortunate to be joined by none other than award-winning director Zach Lepofsky. Hi. Zach. Excited to be here. I'm, I'm a big, big fan. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> and we're big fans of you. Uh and I'm a huge fan of the DGC. Now, to our listeners, tell us, wh- what is the DGC? <laughs> well, the Directors Guild does a lot of different things. Um, and, I mean, at its very basic, one of the things that it does is it represents directors uh, with towards the employers. So, basically, the Directors Guild, you know, goes and negotiates with all the studios and all the networks and says, you've got to pay these guys more. And these are the rights that they need to have. And, uh, you know, whenever there's an issue, if someone doesn't pay you or someone doesn't give you that editing time they were supposed to, um, the guild can basically work as a whole force to basically make sure that you get your pay or you get your rights. So it's basically a, it's a collective that goes out there and sort of like, you know, enforces the rule of law to defend defend directors against uh, the studios and networks. It's a secret society, That's a not-so-secret <laughs> society of directors. Exactly. I love that. So where can our listeners go to learn even more about the DGC? Well, uh, you can uh, check out uh, this new campaign we have that's been amazing called Just Watch Us at directors.ca. And you can follow us at Just Watch DGC on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. So that is directors.ca and Just Watch DGC. Thanks, Zach. Showrunner now. You got that? You got that label after after your name. Yeah. What's the, what is the biggest difference then, you know, between uh, writer director and showrunner? Like what added responsibilities, added and, and maybe just different POV do you need to have, you know, mm-hmm. with that role? I mean, a showrunner really is a mix of you know, responsibilities that writer, director, and producer has. Yeah. So that's essentially it. You are, um, you are running the show. Yeah, that's that's what it means. So, and did you for this? You put together the writers' room. Yep. You, yeah. you did all everything. casting. Wow. Yeah, everything. Your your job is decision making all day, every day. Yeah. You know, hundreds and hundreds of decisions a day. Um, and so it's when you come from indie the indie world whether it's film or tv you um there's a lot of training you get from that you um you often are the writer director producer yeah. you often are that person making all of the decisions there might not be as many to make as there are on a show yeah but you you are making um all of the decisions yeah you know you're sort of the top of that chain of of creatives um so for me, I found it, uh, I found that, uh, I mean, I loved it. I absolutely yeah. <laughs> loved it. Um, and, you know, obviously there were challenging aspects of it, but as a creative, and especially um, when you've created that project from, you know, you've been involved from the beginning. Yeah. Um, it, it just came naturally show running. Yeah. Um, as a as a director of film, you're often um, making those decisions, and then when you step into TV, um, you know the showrunner that has makes those decisions. Um, but as directors, we know, uh, especially from film, you you're able to answer those. Yeah. You, are, you, you know, you're able to answer those. Um, the, the if whether that's about the visual language um, or the stories, if you come from film and you're a director, um, you've already had experience in that. Yeah. Um, but in TV, obviously, the the showrunner's head of story, and the, and the director will focus on those visuals. Yeah. But it's really just a combination of of the two of those. Yeah. Tell me about. Alita, tell me about Vagrant Queen and yeah. and what's what's her story and what drew you to this material? Because this is, I yeah. mean, this is was based on it's based on a comic book, right? By Max Visaggio and Jason Smith, uh, published by Vault Comics, um, who are kind of a new comics publisher, um, and they 
they've got some fantastic titles yeah, yeah really really great um and uh yeah i mean i mentioned earlier i i, I love comic books uh, i love kind of seeing what's new and picking up like the new weeklies and I'd been a fan of Mags Visagio for a while from some of her early work. She has a series called Kim and Kim I was a big fan of. Um, and so kind of pitched her as a writer um, and some of her work to Blue Ice Pictures, who I'd made Kill a High with. Um, and it was it was while I was doing You, Me, Her that I got a call on like, OK, well, yeah, we checked her out. We really oh, we really love this title, Vagrant Queen. Um, and you know, while I hadn't kind of written TV, they'd read my scripts for Android um, and they'd read a feature uh, and they'd seen some sort of rewrites I'd, I'd worked on for Killer High. And so they were like, well, do you want to do you want to write the pilot? Uh, and I jumped at that chance. Yes. And they they loved it. And yeah. it kind of went from there. Um, but Vagrant Queen follows the story of a former uh, child queen of an area of space who's been on the run uh, from this from this Republic uh, army that that overthrew the monarchy yeah. when she was ten years old. Uh, she's now in her twenties and has been living life as a scavenger. Uh, and our pilot sort of picks up uh, as she bumps into a. Uh, an old frenemy who who tells her that her mother is actually still alive and imprisoned in the area of space that she once ruled and so she has to mount a, a rescue essentially so i sort of describe the first season as a road trip through space yeah. as uh, alida uh isaac and uh, uh may um our three leads sort of make this trek uh this rescue mission yeah and it's sort of the uh the, the you know the adventures that they they get up to on the way yeah so how closely then does the story of the first season uh, mirror the the source material well we wanted to take as much as we could from the comics when we first started this there were six issues that sort of were collected into the first trade paperback okay um, and obviously you know a lot more is needed to bulk up a ten uh, episode season yeah um, but everything from the comics was taken and we added to that oh. and so it follows pretty closely the arc but um, it does venture off I'm not going to give you any spoilers but it does Thank venture you. off <laughs> somewhere else because you know when we were writing this we wanted to set up okay what's the what's the arc for season one but you know in 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 our minds we wanted to know where season two and three and four could go so yeah you sort of have to set that up as well. So, yeah. you know, naturally when we were developing it, um, you have to build that world and a lot more was added. Yeah. So uh, where was your writer's room? It was uh, split between, we started in Toronto and then we were moved to Cape Town pretty soon after okay. because, you know, it was the first season. There was a lot to do. Um, and I was sort of split between starting early prep and running the room. So, you know, uh, Blue Ice and, and Sci-Fi wanted me in Cape Town pretty early on. Yeah. And so where did you, like, where did your writers come from? Um, there were, I wanted a small writer's room, first of all. You know, it was the first time I was running a room, and I wanted I wanted all our voices to be heard. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the writers in the room had, uh, they, we, you know, we all had scripts. So everyone was really invested in the show. Um but uh, we had, uh, it was a great mix. We had um, Mariko Tamaki, who is um, a comic book writer. I was actually a big fan of hers yeah. and her comics before and heard that she had been getting into script writing um, and um, read her work and loved it. And, um, you know, she's fantastic with comedy as well and is also a genre fan. Um, we had uh, Mika Collins, who, um, again she's a very talented writer been in a lot of rooms and it was very clear that she was a sci-fi fan it sort of came from a bit more of a drama background and so mm. we had like a a nice group of of sci-fi lovers but with kind of different voices and and um it uh it made for a stronger room yeah so we um we started in toronto we were we were in you know like snowy storms for the first month mm -hmm. and then we moved to the sunshine 
Yeah. And had time. you had you been to South Africa at all before? No, I hadn't. Um, I was supposed to kill a high there. Um, and, um, you know, that ended up being moved back to uh, Toronto. Uh, but I had no idea what to expect. Yeah. So you're, you're, it's your first, like, major show running experience. And I'm on the other side of the world. Yeah. Yeah. This is a terrible question. What was that like? Like what? It's <laughs> <laughs> not like, terrible. <laughs> What's well, like Matt? Like I mean, it's so it's so. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, you're not supposed to ask things that are so vague, or you know. But I can like, like was it an a like how would you characterize that time? The, yeah. And we're talking like literally, you've only been back for a month, so this is a very like recent kind of reflection. Yeah. Um. But you know, like like what what were some of the challenges that you faced, and and how did you feel? You know, honestly, the biggest challenge I thought I would have was what I was going to eat because I'm vegetarian and I'm gluten free. And um, I even have, you know, trouble in like London or, you know, for yeah. <laughs> when I'm going out. So I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, that, what am sure, I going to eat? Sure, that's going to be I mean, a challenge. Is, yeah. <laughs> Turns out uh, the food scene in Cape Town is amazing. Mm -hmm. They're incredible restaurants oh, and food. So that wasn't an issue at all. Yeah. But, it, you know, in terms of what it was like moving there, I think I was so, I was so stoked that the show was greenlit. Uh, you know, I was so kind of aware every day that I wanted to live in, uh, be very present and feel the gratitude for what I was doing. Yeah. Um, that it didn't really... Uh, moving over there for that long it didn't it didn't phase me yeah um and the 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 crew there the crew i worked with were just phenomenal yeah so talented um and probably it was i think just the the warmest like most open kindest set i've ever worked on yeah um so a good place thing, to be like to have a production that size like it was the yeah. perfect group of people yeah and if anything being away helped help me make the show because um you know there was there was so much to do it was an incredibly ambitious show um and i was working seven days a week often yeah. 18 hours a day and the, i can't you can't do that when you're home you know you yeah. have a family you have a life um and so i think being there actually helped make the show what it was and i'm lucky enough to be married to uh, an incredible person who is f so supportive of of what I do um, and you know my family came out to to yeah. visit as much as they could that raises the stakes too right like you're yeah. like I have to like work my ass off and I have to make this the best it can be because it's not just me who's invested exactly. in this it's it's my family it's yeah. everybody else it's uh, people I love and care about and yeah yeah um what well, I Oh, it's so hard because I don't want spoilers. So, and I know you're not going to tell me spoilers, mm -hmm. but I do want to talk specifically about. Um, is it Adrian? Yes, Adrian, Adrian Ray. Because um, uh, she's the star. She's yep. the she's Alita. She's the the vagrant queen. Mm -hmm. um, but what kind of qualities were you looking for when you were casting her role, and what yeah. qualities does she then bring to this character? I mean, that is it is uh, a great question because the show. It's it you know it is a comedy sci-fi so we we knew we obviously definitely needed someone that could handle comedy yeah but a leader as a character isn't described as a funny person as a yeah. funny character so it was a fine line between you know you needed to find someone that understood the timing of comedy um, but could play a leader how she's written yeah. you know she's not um, you know the characters of Tim and Amay kind of are often the comic relief in the show so uh we needed someone that could really balance the the drama that uh, that the uh, a leader has yeah uh and and understand that comedy timing and we looked at auditions from all over the world um and you know there were a lot of uh runners up and then adrian's audition came in a bit later on um and we were blown away by it her first read uh it made me laugh it sort of it, it had it was tonally spot on yeah um and it was clear that she had you know uh, she was a a very talented actor um 
and so uh, I gave notes at the time I was in Cape Town she was in the States uh, I gave notes uh, for the second read for the callbacks and she she hit them all spot on um, and yeah I think especially when that second read came back we knew we'd found a leader yeah oh I'm so excited okay so what is the what is the like do we have a premiere date yet like what what stage of production are we at we I'm it's gonna be we're looking at late March um oh my gosh that's so soon it's so soon a trailer will drop in the next week or so <gasps> and we will be um with the with the official release date but um expect it late March early April oh that's so exciting okay um how do you think this experience has changed you I don't know how I can go back now to uh, I loved show running it um, it sort of combined everything I love about this industry um, you know you're 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 in charge of that of the story um, and making sure that um, that we that that arc that you know makes sense that yeah. everything that happens works for the larger narrative but um picking apart ev- all those episodes as well knowing the characters inside out there's um there's so much i enjoyed about being you know a lover of story mm. that i that uh you know being head of the writer from writer's room fulfilled for me um and on top of that um being able to create the look and the style and the visual language of the show mm. um, again was everything I love about directing um, and it was um, it was just an incredible um, I joke about it because I think I've been spoiled with this with this first project to show run because um, it was an incredible story we had so much fun we could you know really create whatever we wanted um incredible cast and crew very little notes mm. and i've been spoiled because you know what's the next one gonna be i'm you know yeah. if i get any more than three notes on something i'm gonna be like what is this <laughs> <laughs> oh well i can't wait to see where you take me and my brain next um i guess i want to i want to end with uh with what the fuck yeah. Uh, WTF. What, yeah, WTF moments, you know? Like, like do you, do you have those moments where you're like, what the fuck, this is actually my life? Like, yeah. and if so, like, when do you get those? Um, I got them a lot on Vagrant Queen. Um, yeah. You know, it was, every day it was kind of, <laughs> we would, uh, uh, one of the, I had a guy called Michael Champion in the writer's room who's a good friend of mine who I, I brought on board because, um, we collaborate a lot and I wanted him in the writer's room so he worked as our um, uh, script coordinator mm. and on a daily when we're writing these stories like what what would be cool to see what haven't we seen in TV yeah uh, yeah let's do that we'd sort of just pause and say hold on a second like is this real I never quite felt real because we're in the writer's room you yeah just like well these are just ideas and then you're in production and you're seeing it happen and you're like this is crazy but it's it still doesn't quite feel real no one's seen it yeah you're in the edit and you're like okay I'm, I'm watching it on the screen yeah but and it just kept being that it just kept every um i think some of the things that stand out for me were the first time i walked onto the spaceship that had been built for me our spaceship's called the winnipeg in ah! our show. she's a beaut it's like real winnipeg <laughs> yeah um because well, our um our only human character in the show this is set in a distant galaxy uh, we have a character played by Tim Roson uh, called uh, Isaac, and um, you'll know Tim from Winona Earp. Winona Earp and Schitt's Creek. Creek. Yeah. yeah, of course. Um, and uh, yeah, he he's uh, uh, the only human character from Canada, from Winnipeg. So his ship is called the Winnipeg. Oh my god! Even though you know no one else in this galaxy knows how to pronounce this Winnie Pog Winnie <laughs> yeah thing. Um, and I remember, you know, working on the concept art um, and seeing these designs and it was fantastic. And then they built that for me in VR. So I would put on my VR headset and walk around 
the build the the ship oh, before it was so built. So fucking cool. It was insane. You know, I'd be like, okay, oh, uh, this needs to. I've got my arms out right now. Yeah. <laughs> this this wall needs to, you know, move a couple feet back. This roof, you know, so I could put a camera here. And so you're in VR, in VR, walking through your ship, giving notes, giving notes before Fuck. it's built. You know, and it's a huge ship as well, and it's on two levels. Um, and so the first time I walked onto that in the studio was one of those moments for me that I'll never forget. Because uh, it was, I was looking at this <sighs> on paper. It's being sent, you know, emails on on little design tweaks, and now I'm physically walking around. And the the level of detail that the art team have put into it is phenomenal. Yeah, oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for you. I can, I can, especially you know, as a, I mean, you were a young nerd. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I was a young nerd too. Like to 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 walk through. Yeah. Uh, something that came from that you helped to build that I helped to build and then I flew my mom out to visit me (gasps) in Cape Town as well so she got to sit in the cockpit and that was adorable that was amazing wow I am I am so excited to watch this we will be continuing to follow you uh, and you're leveling up in real time Jem Gerard where can our fans find you on the social media Uh, on Twitter I'm Jemga J-E-M-G-A or I'm on Instagram as Jem Garrod. Yeah, fantastic. All right. Uh, And to our fans, we thank you for spending this time with us. Please like and subscribe. If you are so inclined, leave us a review. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVR Screen Scene. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Firminger, and it's edited by Simon Firminger. We give special thanks to Mariana Firminger for reading our new Patreon ad. Hi, Mari. And to Tyson Braddock and Paul Firminger for family business for technical support. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut!